We're so grateful that he came. Amen. We've been talking about the covenant of Christmas, and I want to go back there again today. And in Isaiah, he's speaking of Jesus when he prophesies these words in Isaiah 49 and verse 8. He says, Thus says the Lord, In an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. And I will preserve you and give you as a covenant to the people, to restore the earth, to cause them to inherit the desolate heritages. As Christians, we uh, celebrate Isaiah's prophecy and this prophetic announcement every Christmas. The prophet declares that God is about to send his son as an answer to every cry and every prayer of his people. It is more embedded in this verse than we usually associate with the story of Jesus and a baby in a manger. We're told that Jesus was being sent in human form and unveils God's covenant with man. He says here that I will give you as a covenant To the people. When God gave us a new covenant, He didn't set up a new system or a new set of rules in which we were to go by. Instead of sending a system, He sent a person, and that person is the person of Jesus. And so He sent Jesus, is the the new covenant that God sent. The old covenant was definitely a set of rules and regulations that that had conditions with them that said if you do this or that then God will give you life but if you don't you will miss God's blessing and of course people constantly fell short of God's standard they were unable to keep the law which the was holy and which was pure and as a result their lives were dogged by guilt and shame and despair and today we somehow have gotten our mind in our minds that the old covenant just needed to be tweaked a little bit but Jesus didn't come to tweak the covenant he came as the covenant amen He didn't try to shift it or to change it or to alter the old covenant. He came as the new covenant. He didn't come to show us uh, the uh, blessing of grace, but he came as the blessing of grace. And another false image that we have developed, it seems like to me anyways, is that Jesus came as an appeaser between... uh, us and an angry father that somehow Jesus is always apologizing for an aging parent and saying you know you just got to overlook his gruffiness or or he's you know he's getting kind of cranky in his old age and and all of this you know but that's not true at all when you get to know the person of God when you get to know the person of the father you know the gracious father you know a loving and a kind and a compassionate father. And you see, many, uh, there's many misconceptions and that 
cause us to assume that Jesus came even to make the law easier on us, right? That, that uh, you know, the law was too hard and so he came to tweak it and he come to make the law so that man was able to live up to it. But, but Jesus didn't come to make the law easier. In fact, his first assignment on the earth was to make the law more difficult. Amen. Now, the law and the Old Covenant and the New Covenant don't, is not separated from the Old Testament to the New Testament because the law went over into the New Testament and it wasn't until Jesus came that we see the New, Test, New Covenant was come. But the truth of the reality is, is Jesus made the Old Covenant harder. And so in his first sermon, his first assignment, he said, you have heard, do not commit adultery. But I say to you that if you look on someone with lustful heart, you've committed adultery already. Amen. The law says don't commit adultery. Jesus comes and says, if you look on a man or you look on a woman with lust in your heart, you done committed adultery. He didn't come to make it easier. The first assignment in the earth was to make it more difficult. He said, the law said, you shall not murder. But Jesus comes and takes it a step further and he says, I want you to understand that if you've got anger in your heart towards your brother, you've already murdered. Right? Imagine how many people we've killed. We're all guilty, huh? But he came to make it more difficult so that we would understand that it was impossible for us to keep. God's law was the more difficult for us and it was it, that it, we needed incredible mercy. We needed his grace. And as the, excuse me, as the embodiment of the new covenant, he was showing us that it is impossible of our ability to keep God's law. We do not have the ability. And he increased the requirements of the law to show us how we could never do it without his grace and without his power. And throughout church history, men like Luther and Wesley I've spoke about this before, but it seems like I don't know what happened, but in the early 1900s and these great men of God would come and they had an understanding that you cannot live under the law. They, they would emphasize how important it was for God's people to understand this new covenant but somewhere along the way, we transitioned back to the law and transitioned back to trying to live under guilt and condemnation. And they, but Luther and Wesley, they saw uh, it was a matter of rightly dividing God's word. And they grasped that, that what the law is and what grace is. And if we fail to comprehend that, then uh, this one matter, they said, we, this is what they said. They said, we are doomed to life of despair. If you don't get this one thing in Christendom, 
you are doomed to a life of despair. What is that? Understanding the difference between the old covenant and the new covenant. And Lutheran Wesley said, if you try to live under the old covenant and be a Christian, all you're going to have is a life of despair and doom. You're never going to make it. You're never going to have joy. That's the reason why you see some people, I believe they truly love God, but they're trying to live under the law and they look like they brush with a dill pickle and gargle with vinegar. They look like they've been pulled through a knot hole backwards and they're angry with you because you got a smile on your face. Come on, somebody. Amen. But you're never going to have it. That's the reason they, they haven't discerned this one thing between the old covenant and the new covenant. And so they're living a life of despair because they're trying to do something they can never measure up to. Luther and Wesley knew that to be a true, this to be true because they had experienced it in their own lives. Here's the difference. Under the new covenant, God's law was no longer an external standard for us to strive for. Instead, the law was written upon our hearts through the Holy Spirit. God's love has been poured into us, into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has given, who has been given to us. That's what Romans 5 and 5 says. We are filled with the Holy Spirit, the very life of God himself, and he helps us to obey God's holy word. Jesus loved us. He gave himself for us that we might have this newness of life right so that we could enjoy our salvation but there are accusers that come there are three voices that I want to talk about today there are three voices that come to accuse us and tell us that we're not worthy that we can't do it you can't accomplish it and and the first accuser appears in the garden of Eden the Bible calls it the accuser of the brethren Revelation chapter 12 and verse 10 refers to it and he says who accuses them before God day and night the accuser of the brethren who is the accuser of the brethren Satan is the accuser of the brethren right he brings accusations to God day and night accusing you and me of why we should not be forgiven why we should not be considered the, a, a part of the kingdom of God. Satan's accusations are one thing that Jesus came to deal with in, in our living and in our, in our breathing covenant. He came to crush, right? Satan. He came to annihilate his voice. And the earliest prophecy in Genesis stated that Satan would bruise the Messiah or Jesus' heel, but Jesus would crush the devil's head. Amen. 2,000 years ago at Christmas, Jesus brought that reality into our lives. That once and for all, the accuser that comes and whispers and says, you're no good, you're worthless, you're, you're, you're a burden to others, you, you'll never, you'll look at your history, you'll never amount to anything. How many times have you messed up? You'll never change. And, and our relationship with that voice begins in the garden 
when he come to accuse and declare that we are unworthy, that we are unrighteous, that we will never accomplish anything. But when Jesus comes, he declares an end to that voice in our life. Amen. He adds this amazing reassurance in John 5 and 45. He said, do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. Right? Don't think I'm going to accuse you to the Father. It's not going to happen. In other words, he says, I'm for you, not against you. Come on, somebody. I'm with you. I'm on your side. Right? And he's not like a car salesman. He means it. <laughs> How many have ever went in to buy a car and they say, I'm working for you? <laughs> I'm going to go see what the manager says, but I'm working for you. <laughs> no, Jesus really means it. He's working for you. He's on your side. He, he's, he's an advocate to the Father for you and not against you, right? And he promises us here in John 5 and, and, and 45, he said, I'm not going to bring accusations to the Father against you. And it brings us to the second voice who accuses us in, in John 5 and 45. He says, there is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. Amen. There is one who accuses you. Who is it? It's Moses. And it's in him who you set your hope. What did Jesus mean by this? Moses represents the old covenant. The law. He received from God on Mount Sinai. And if we set our hope and our accomplishments in God's law, it's Moses' voice that accuses us when we fail. You may think, why would anyone ever put their hope and their confidence in an old law, in an old covenant? But Christians do it all the time. It happens when we say, God has given me a command and I can't do it. I can't maintain this holy standard. That's how we set our hope in Moses, right? That's always the moment our hearts begin to grow sick. And the Bible says that hope deferred makes the heart sick in Proverbs 13. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. That's what the law always does. It, it, it dangles the proverbial carrot out in front of you. But you never obtain it. You never get it. You always get tricked. <laughs> it's Leah and Rachel. All over again. Right? You work for seven years, laboring, toiling, and sweating, thinking that you're getting Rachel. And whenever you think that you've achieved it and you've worked hard enough and you've done it long enough, and you wake up only to realize you got Leah. Right? Nobody's going to help me today on this Christmas message. One translation said, Leah... Well, look, her eyes were like a mad cow. In other words, he thought he was working for a beauty queen and he woke up with a mad cow. 
That's what religion always does. It's what the old covenant always does. We never can achieve it. We think, we, we think we're working for one thing only to wake up to find out we got something else. Right? And we're working for something. We're laboring for something. We're trying to make something happen so we can gain something. That's religion. But watch the other side of the relationship of Rachel. Now he goes to Laban and says, you've tricked me. You, you've done this. And now he says, well, he says, I'll tell you what. He says, <laughs> bad on your luck, ain't it? But he said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. He said, you don't have to work. You're going to work for another seven years for Rachel. But I'm going to give her to you now. Right? You see the difference? I worked and I labored and I thought I was getting Rachel. But I got a mad cow looking woman and I got tricked but now that was working for something but now I'm working out of something come on somebody and I've got what I've been promised I've got what I was said I was going to get and because I got what I said I was going to get now I work with joy huh and that's a relationship that's the new covenant. I'm not working to try to get something. I'm working because I've already got something. I've got a new life. I've got joy. I've got peace of mind. I'm on my way to heaven and nothing nobody can do to stop me. To be absent from the bodies. To be present with the Lord. Because I already have this joy, this salvation, this blessed hope. I work out of my salvation. With great joy and with great confidence. Amen. I'm not wishy-washy about it. I'm not up and down about it. I'm not, well, I, I didn't do too good this week. I might go to hell. And next week, oh, I did pretty good. I kept the law, so I'm going to heaven. No, God's not schizophrenic. Amen. And you don't have to be. You can know because you have a relationship. That's the, that's the new covenant. You have a personal God. His name is Jesus, right? And so we set our sights on accomplishing the law because we, we don't possess the ability to do it. And then we use, you know, things that we say that, well, we're just not worthy, we're not this and we're not that. And we sense something is missing. And what is missing is the grace of God. What is missing is a relationship. What is missing is living in the new covenant. And when Moses' voice accuses us, he says, you're not holy enough. We keep trying to be more holy. But the result continues to be the same. We end up in despair. We end up not measuring up. We end up not being enough. Right? Have you ever been there? And this brings us to the third voice. And the third voice is the voice of accusing is our own voice. God, as God's people, we sometimes don't rightly discern ourselves. Paul said it like this in Romans 2 and 15. They show that the works of the law is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. 
Who is Paul talking about here? The person who still has the law written upon their hearts. It's the Christian without the understanding that they have not, they're not living in both covenants, the old and the new. It, it's an understanding that, that what these Christians that have one foot on Mount Sinai and the other foot on Mount Zion. And you can't live on Sinai and Zion at the same time. We're still trying to live out an old covenant. And he tells himself, I've done well in the Lord this week. And so I've put together a good week. And so now maybe I can put together another good week. <laughs> but the next week don't go, go as good as the last week. And so guess what we do? We accuse ourselves. We weren't good enough. Right? Because one week we say we did great, the next week we start accusing. But when failure comes, the same voice that accused us or even excused us is the same voice that comes to bring accusations against us. Yes, we've been keeping the law, but now we broke it. And then our mind says, what kind of Christian are you? I'll tell you what kind of Christian you are. You're a hypocrite. You're a loser. You can't never please God. You'll never make it. Right? And so we're up on the mountain one moment, down on the mountain the next moment because of our works. Not understanding that it's not about our right, a performance of righteousness, that we have been made righteous in Christ Jesus. We're trying to keep it all together through legalism and everything they did was based on duty and obligation and don't have any joy. <laughs> Amen. The writer said, if I'll have hope, hope only in this life, I'm of all men most miserable. But it suggests to me that I have hope in this life as well. Right? If I have hope only in this life, I'm of all men most miserable. But, but I have not only a hope here, but I've got a hope to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. And so I understand that that, that hope brings joy. Right? Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. And so if you don't have a hope, then you'll never have a joy. What is my hope based upon today? It is not based upon Brian Matthews' ability to perform. My hope today is based upon his ability to keep his word. And his word is, whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you come to me with a godly sorrow, I'll in no wise cast you out. The blood has washed away all of our sins. 
What shall wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What shall make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of... It's the blood of Jesus, the power of His ability and His Word to deliver us and to free us from the guilt and the condemnation of ourselves and let us know that no, we weren't able, but He made us able. We weren't qualified, but He qualified us. He purchased us with His own blood, wrote our name down in the Lamb's Book of Life, and said this isn't about you it's about me and my ability if you will believe on me and enter into my rest I'll keep you joyful I'll keep you happy and I'll keep you victorious in the old covenant as they failed to keep the law they adjusted the law they added loopholes to the law and every time they'd keep Keeping the law was no longer about loving God, but about maintaining a life of the law. A life that was lifeless. It produced a cold, jealous group of leaders who continually covered their own tracks while judging others. People that live under the law are good at telling you what's wrong with you. They just can't see what's wrong with them. They've got a beam in their own eye while trying to pluck the gnat out of yours. Amen. I don't know about you, but I need all the grace that I can get. I need all the mercy that I can get. Do the best that I can. Live the best that I can. But at the end of the day, I need His grace. I need His mercy. And I don't need to be bringing the guilt and the condemnation upon my life. We're so quick to judge other people. Put other people down. And we don't know the turmoil that they're going through in their own life. A person never knows what they would do in a situation. They can say, well, I'll tell you what I'd do. It's easy to say that until you're walking through it. And then it becomes more difficult to tell somebody how I do a thing when you're walking through it yourself. Jesus addresses every accusation, every voice in the Sermon on the Mount. When Jesus delivered the Beatitudes, it was to a fractured, hopeless body of believers. He told them, blessed are you who are broken, who are mourning, who are poor in spirit. When? Right now. <laughs> Not in the pie in the sky, not later on, but here in the now, you are blessed. Not because of anything you have done to earn it. You're blessed because I am with you. Hallelujah. What a revelation. We are blessed simply because Jesus is with us. Jesus is with us. This is the Christmas blessing. Emmanuel, God with us. Right? 
It takes on a whole new meaning of in this light of Isaiah's prophecy that he said, I will give you as a covenant to the people to appropriation of desolate heritages. He says, I am giving you God. I'm giving you the Christ. I'm blessing you with Christ's presence. And as long as he is present, then he silences all of the accusing voices. This silencing happened literally in the story of the woman who was caught in the act of adultery. The religious leaders brought her to Jesus and demanded that he accuse her too. Secretly, they had a reason for bringing her to Jesus. They wanted to accuse Jesus. Have you ever had a Christian that accused God of something? I hear it quite often. Pastor, God just isn't working in my life. I'm praying and I'm faithfully praying, but he just doesn't answer. I'm doing everything that I can do and and still I'm not getting free. I'm I'm not having victory in my life. This is exactly what Satan wants you to do. He wants you to accuse God in your heart and it creates an never-ending cycle of bondage. That God isn't able, I'm not able, and so therefore there is no hope. Look how Jesus addressed and answered the accusers of this adulterous woman and his own accusers. He stood up and said to them, let him who is without sin among you cast the first stone. (laughs) Jesus was bad. You couldn't outdo him. You couldn't get up early enough to outsmart him. Huh? He had the Holy Spirit in him and he operated through that gift and he looked at him and said yeah I agree with you Whoever, whoever's without sin start the party throw the stone <laughs> right God was no longer being accused Jesus had turned the spotlight on where it belonged it wasn't to be on this adulterous woman It was to be on their own life. It was on their own sin. Their their response to it was they went away one by one. Right? Jesus then said to the woman, Woman, where are they that accuse you? Or who, who condemned you? King James translation, I think it says that where are those thine accusers? This is exactly what Jesus says to us today. Where are your accusers? Where are the voices of Satan, of Moses, of your own heart? Where where are those accusers at today? You're sinful, you're hopeless, you're helpless, you're, you're a failure. They're all gone because he says, I'm going to make you my righteousness. Right? 
He silences all of the voices. Those voices may still be screaming into our ears, but they will never overwhelm the voice of the Savior. They'll never overwhelm the voice of God that speaks to us and says, my sheep will know my voice and another they'll not follow. Right? Jesus' voice will speak to us and say, I have silenced your accusers. His truth cuts off through all of the clamor and through all of the noise and through all of the things that the enemy tries to bring into our heart. And he speaks a peace and he speaks a confidence and he speaks a knowing of thus understanding that old things have passed away and behold all things have become new and we are now a new creation in Christ Jesus. Right? What Jesus said to the woman next is, is most profound. Jesus said, where are your accusers? And he said, neither do I condemn you. From now on, go and sin no more. It didn't give her a license to sin. It gave her the power over sin. Amen. He didn't, he, didn't, he didn't give raise all of that pressure and all of that frustration and all those voices off of her life so she could continue in the same way that she had been living. He removed all of that so that her life could be different from now on. That he, she didn't have to find herself in this condition again, but she said that she would be able to be free from sin and live in it no longer. It's absolutely essential for us to build on this firm foundation that God has not accused us. It is the foundation based upon not the law, but not on accusations or despair, but on the glorious promise and blessed hope that Jesus Christ himself came into the world as our covenant, glory to God. A new covenant where that our sins can be washed away and we can have a personal relationship with him. Right? When you hear the accusations against us, he tells Jesus, crush that. <laughs> when he tries to bring up our past and all of our guilt and all of our shame of yesterday that has already been under the blood and we ask Jesus to forgive us of it and the enemy has the audacity to bring it back up, he says, crush it, Jesus. Amen. Don't listen to those lies. That's under the old. That's under the blood. And it, I don't remember it anymore. And as far as God is concerned, you've never done it. Amen. Imagine that. You've never done it. As far as when they come and accuse him day and night, and he says that's not true. They've never done it. He's not lying. How can an all-knowing God say that they've never done it when he knows they did it? Because he chooses not to remember. <laughs> Is anybody thankful for that? He chooses not to remember our sins against us anymore. Glory to God. I'm about to preach myself happy. We're all going to sin. The Bible makes that clear. But when we do, the voice we hear will be the Holy Spirit. He brings conviction of our transgressions. 
And yet it's a hopeful conviction. It doesn't, lead, it doesn't lead us to guilt and condemnation, but it leads us to a joyful repentance. Right? That we repent of our sins and our despair. And Isaiah, he said, and I will give you as a covenant to the people. We've been given Jesus. And in our time of discouragement, in our time of despair, in our time whenever in, in our weakness, he be, is made strong. In a time when all the voices are hurling around in our lives, if we'll trust on him, believe in him, his voice will silence the rest of the voices and say, neither do I condemn you. My God has a supply of grace, of confidence. And he brought it to us in a package of a new covenant. His name is Jesus. Glory to God. If you haven't ever surrendered your life to Christ, you'll never be able to know the joy of living. Amen. If all that you've known is the form and all of that you've known is religion, if all you've known is trying to keep rules and regulations so that you can be good enough to get to heaven someday if you die and when you die, you'll never know the joy of having a relationship with the God of the universe. It'll leave you, as Luther and Wesley said, miserable and in despair. But when you know him and a personal relationship and you hear his voice, say, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. He frees you from the guilt, the condemnation, the voices of Satan, the voices of an old covenant, your own self, and says, I've given you a new start. I've given you a new beginning. I've given you a new life. Amen? Praise God. Father, I thank you for these moments in your word today. I thank you for a new covenant, a new way, a new life. I ask you today, Holy Spirit, where I have been limited in my words and my vocabulary and my ability to, to relate this blessed hope and this blessed promise of the covenant of Christmas. I, I pray the Holy Spirit that you will touch each and every heart, every life. And that, God, that you will do a work within each of us today to let us know, God, that it isn't by our own works, it's not by how, what we have merited, it's not by our own ability, but it's by your precious grace and your mercy that you have made us free, you have made us whole, you have redeemed us from the curse of the law. 
I ask you, Father, that you would just speak to each and every one of our hearts individually as well as personally today is what this means to us in this Christmas season. And God, that you would speak to us the peace, the comfort, and the hope that is in this new covenant. And we give you thanks and praise for this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.